Sin and Shin. Spock. Spock. Two front teeth. Sharp. Press. Eat. Two. Rulers persecute me without cause, but my heart trembles at your word. I rejoice in your promise like one who finds great spoil. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Great seven, spoil. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous laws. Great pre peace have they who love your law, and nothing can make them stumble. I wait for your salvation, O Lord, and I am and I follow your commands. I obey your statutes, for I love them greatly. I obey your precepts and your statutes, for all my ways are known to you. you. Nice. Very nice. Okay, let's see. I have a prayer request that came in just a little while ago, and I, got, I didn't write it down because it's just too long. Let's see here. This is from Jackie. Uh, she's doing better from her pneumonia. And let's see here. She says... Um, our friend Kathy's mom is in the hospital and things are not going well. It started when she fell and broke her hip, then a hematoma developed, back into surgery to repair, the hiatal hernia complications and another surgery. Since the last surgery, more complications and she's back in the ICU. Hospital just called Kathy to let her know they are putting her mom on a ventilator and asked when her mom's wishes are if her heart stops. This is not good. So Kathy is asking for strength and guidance and that her mom's time that Jesus gently take her hand and bring her home. Okay, so there you go with that. That's one prayer request. A uh, little distressing, way distressing. Uh, but at least she knows Jesus, so we're in good shape there. Let's see here. Uh, Lisa has mediation coming up tomorrow and she'd like prayer about that. And also, Thankfully, I mean, it's not thankful for the cow, but she hit a cow, and uh, I guess her car got destroyed, but she's okay. So I'm, we're happy about that, but uh, I, she didn't respond, but I said, are we having steaks? <laughs> so I, uh, anyway, I feel bad, you know, cow gets hurt, but anyway, um, I'm very glad she's okay, but she's praying for mediation coming up tomorrow. Um, John, you didn't tell us how John is. He's doing good. Okay, he's still okay. John's son, Burke, is doing okay. He's working six hours a day. Okay, working still, and everything was fine on the last report, but I just wanted to make sure. Yeah, he's and, not nauseated at all. Hasn't been. Okay. It's a blessing. Yeah, that's good, because that... Uh, that uh, but his taste buds are off. Oh, yeah, it'll do it. Yeah, chemotherapy will do that, throw your taste off. Um, Susan, who plays the organ in here, I just heard has kidney stones, and she's in pain. If you've ever had kidney stones, which I haven't, but I know my brother had them and he didn't know what it was. And he actually called mom and said, I need you to take, you to the, take me to the hospital, but uh, I don't think I'm going to make it. <laughs> and so he gave her all the instructions on how to care for the cats. That's what he was worried about. But he honestly thought he was dying. It's, it can be that bad. So anyway, uh, there you go with those. And let me put this down so I don't break it. And let's see here, we've got, uh, today is, I don't even know, today is 21, okay, 23rd, 23rd of March, okay, 23rd of March, what would a revival be like among the Delaware Indians in 1746? David Brainerd, at 28, had been a missionary to the Indians for four years. Now he was ministering to the Delaware Indians of Crossweek Sung, um, New Jersey. 
his diary records, I'm sorry, his diary records the events of March 23rd, 1746. There being about 15 strangers, adult persons come among us in the week past, diverse of whom had never been in any religious meeting till now. I thought it proper to discourse this day in a manner peculiarly suited to the circumstances and capacities, and accordingly attempted it from Hosea 13, verse 9. O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself. In the forenoon I opened the plainest manner I could, man's apostasy and ruined state, after having spoken some things respecting the being and perfections of God and his creation of man in a state of uprightness and happiness. In the afternoon, endeavored to open the glorious provision God has made for the redemption of apostate creatures by giving his own dear son to suffer for them and satisfy divine justice on their behalf. There was not that affection and concern in the assembly that has been common among us, although there was a desirable attention appearing in general and even in most of the strangers. Near sunset, I felt an uncommon concern upon my mind, especially for the poor strangers, that God had so much withheld his presence and the powerful influence of his spirit from the assembly in the exercises of the day, and thereby denied them that degree of conviction which I hoped they might have had. In this frame, I visited sundry houses and discoursed with some concern and affection to diverse persons especially, but without much appearance of success till I came to a house where divers of the strangers were. There the solemn truce I discoursed of appeared to take effect, first upon some children, then upon diverse adult persons that had been somewhat awakened before and afterwards upon several of the pagan strangers. I continued my discourse with some fervency till almost everyone in the house was melted into tears and divers wept aloud and appeared earnestly concerned to obtain an interest in Christ. Upon this, numbers soon gathered from all the houses round about, and so thronged the place that we were obliged to remove to the house where we usually met for public worship. The congregation gathered immediately, and many appeared remarkably affected. I discoursed some time from Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. There was much visible concern and affection in the assembly, and I doubt not but that a divine influence accompanied what was spoken to the, many, to the hearts of many. There were five or six of the strangers, men and women, who appeared to be considerably awakened, and in particular one very rugged young man who seemed as if nothing would move him was now brought to weep a long time. David Brainerd died of tuberculosis just a year and a half later. He went on to heaven where he would later welcome all the Indians he had led to Christ. Revival broke out among the Indians because Brainerd felt God's leading to visit their homes in the evening after the worship service. Do you ever feel that God is leading you to do something? Do you feel that that leading? You may not experience miraculous results like Brainerd did, but if you will follow God's leading, you will have the satisfaction of being faithful. Romans 8, 14, all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Good stuff. Heavenly Father, here we are in your presence, and uh, you've heard the prayer requests, and you know of any others that are out there of people that are uh, suffering in, uh, in whatever capacity, whether it's financial or emotional or mental or uh, just 
family relationships or whatever it is, uh, mediation tomorrow for one of them, Lord, uh, search them out and give them calm and peace in their times of storm. And uh, uh, the dear lady that's ready to meet Jesus, we would pray that uh, if her time is up, that you would uh, tenderly take her home without any uh, difficulty on her or the surgeons and doctors around her. And Lord, uh, give the daughter the uh, peace of mind that she knows that her mother is uh, heading off to be with you. That's a real comfort for us, and uh, uh, it's a great thing that uh, she's able to cling to. So we pray for all of these people, and we certainly pray for this class. And uh, we thank you for the book of 1 Thessalonians. We're in chapter 2, and we're very grateful for its contents. And Lord, we just pray that uh, uh, what is said here will be proper and in accord with your word. How we love you, Lord. You're so good to us. Thank you for your precious word. We pray these things in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Okay, we are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and today we're starting in verse 4. Great okay. stuff. Back it up to 1. All right. Start. You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. For appeal, we make for the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. For, on the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God, who tests our hearts. Okay, almost the same, but instead of yours was a little more wordy. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak. Not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. Okay, so that's that's a great thing that he said right there, even without reading my notes. Um, uh, he's entrusted with the gospel, and they're not there to please people. They understand that they are being watched by the Lord. Okay, and so I had the pleasure today of typing Acts, um, let's see here, it was 15. It's where um, uh, Paul said, let us go back and visit the churches that we had they, on their first missionary trip. He wants to go on another missionary trip. And unfortunately, I think it's tomorrow, it's gonna break down into a little bit of a brawl between him and Barnabas. But right now, he's got the right thing on his mind is that he's not doing that to please people. Right. He's doing it to please God. He's going there to tell these people about Jesus. And he's already told them, and he wants to make sure that they're strong in the faith, that they're established, that they're you know, handling things rightly. Obviously, they did not have the New Testament. And so everything that Paul had told them is what they understood. And if they had, you know, these are Gentiles for the most part. If they had any scripture, they would have had to have bought it from a Jewish uh, group. You know, if they do had or did have copies of it in the Greek, so they could read that. But, you know, the Old Testament without the New Testament is actually a really hard read. You know, there are certain things that aren't, like we were talking about Proverbs earlier, that fits your day every day. But there are certain things you think, why is this in here? Until it's explained in the New Testament, it's very peculiar. You get to the book of Leviticus, and obviously the people had their own pagan temples and they did sacrifices and stuff, but they might say, well, that's very similar to what we did and not understand the connection. So whatever. But uh, Paul wanted to go back and strengthen the churches and he was doing it not to please men. He was doing it because he loved the Lord and he wanted to please God. Anyway, just thought off the top of my head, Paul on several occasions completely disregards the opinion of others concerning his doctrine. 
for example, he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Let me get over there. Um, 1 Corinthians 4, and then he says it in verses 3 and 4. So he says there, um, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Okay, so he couldn't care what other people think. He understands that he is accountable to the Lord. Then he says something again in Galatians chapter 1. Let me see here. He says in verse 10, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. So he's making it very clear that his motive and his objective is to be pleasing to God. And he really couldn't care what people think about him one way or another. And that's very apparent when you follow him in the book of Acts. He just couldn't care. All he cared about was telling people the truth about the gospel. Okay, With their fortitude evident... He says that they, speaking to the Thessalonians, were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. With a full trust in God that they were meant to continue the mission trip through Macedonia, they proceeded onward. Paul knew this to be true because of what it says in Acts chapter 16, which we're going to be in Acts chapter 16 very soon. I tell you, I was just thinking here, I was cleaning him back before Burke showed up, and I was thinking how blessed I am to be going through the book of Acts. I tell you, I don't think I've enjoyed anything. And you know, it's a nice narrative. I always read it and I enjoyed it, but I'm so enjoying the book of Acts by going verse by verse and seeing the, the detail that's in there. It is literally, I, I'm just thanking the Lord for it. I can't think of anything I've enjoyed more in a long time. I mean, I enjoy everything I do, but this is just like, Every day I wake up and I'm excited about what the next verse is going to be revealing. But when uh, we were doing the Bible study on Acts here, that was, oh, was great. pretty lively too. Yeah, so, and yeah. we really didn't, I, I didn't spend much time studying for it. It was just all off the top of my head, but it was very fun. So, but this to me is just a real joy to be able to sit down and uh, nothing going on in the whole house, just me and the, the Bible and just going through and thinking through what is Paul saying or what is being said by, you know, this guy or, or what's the conclusion here. It's just such a great book. Anyway, um, he says in one, I'm sorry, in Acts 16, verses 9 and 10, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, I think we read this last week yeah, as well, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. So this is what was on his mind. This is why they did it. And he was going to stay resolute in going through Macedonia. If he was called and he knew he was, then we're going to make the best of this and we're going to go where the Spirit leads us. Uh, the Lord would not prompt them to go on such a mission if he were not going to be with them. The spiteful treatment at Philippi turned out to be exactly what was needed anyway. It bolstered confidence of those who there who believed. It continued to confirm the legal proclamation of the gospel, and it brought salvation to the jailer who was given charge over Paul and Silas, also known as Silvanus. Okay, um, uh, what was it that I just read? Oh, the legal proclamation of the gospel. 
Um, it, this is something that I mentioned from time to time in the book of Acts, but it's not really something you'd focus on when you're going through Th Thessalonians or one of Paul's epistles. But the one of the uh, very key points of the book of Acts is whether what they are doing is legal, okay? And uh, the term is, do you remember the term? Um, uh, Religi religios... Uh, uh, you're close. Licita. Or religio illicita. Yeah, that's right. So very, I knew you were going to get it. You would have woken up tonight and said, oh. Anyway, um, uh, it, the, one of these key points of the book of Acts is to establish the legality of the Christian faith. Here we are, we're in the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire controlled what religions were considered licita, or legal religions, okay? And uh, you'll see, every time you get into a conflict between the Jews and Paul, the Jews always try to distance themselves from Paul, saying he's, you know, uh, uh, not teaching our religion, he's blah, 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 and they're always trying to distance themselves, and the reason why they're doing that is because Judaism was a legal religion within the Roman Empire. It was considered religio licita. They had full license to exercise their religion, okay? There were certain things they didn't have the right to, such as stoning a person to death, okay? The law demands death for these penalties. They didn't have the right to that, but they could appeal to uh, Caesar like they did with Jesus and say, when I say Caesar, I'm talking about the Roman government, so Pontius Pilate, the representative of Caesar, and they could say, this man is doing these things and we want him put to death, okay? They had that right, but they didn't have a right to excuse But for the most part, their religion was left alone by the Romans. You can practice your religion freely. They didn't want Christians to be able to exercise their religion freely. And so they are constantly distancing themselves from Paul. And then what happens? Happens every single time. The Whoever it is, the guy in uh, Philippi, or whoever he is, he's the magistrate of the area, he says, you Jews take care of this yourself. He, they constantly push Christianity back under Judaism, where it belonged. Now, I'm not saying that Christianity uh, belongs under Judaism and we're under the law or anything like that. That's not at all. This is an extension from Judaism. It is a fulfillment of the Mosaic Law. It is an annulment of the Mosaic Law for those who come to Christ, but it is an extension from Judaism because Judaism, and when I say Judaism, I'm not talking about modern Judaism based on the Talmud, okay? I'm talking about based on the scriptures, okay? It was an extension of that because that's where it came from. And so it is the fulfillment of the messianic hope which is found in the religious life of the Jews. And they understood that was Paul's intent. Whether they believed it or not was irrelevant to them. They didn't want to get into matters of their law. And they say it again and again. This is your law. You go deal with this. They're always shoving it back under where it belongs. It drove the Jews absolutely crazy. But... That was one of the key points of Acts, is to show the validity of Christianity so that later, as time developed and the book is written and the Roman Empire continues on, it would be considered a freely exercised religion under the Roman Empire. And that extended. I mean, how long did the Roman Empire go on? It went on for a long, long time. Eventually, it just kind of fizzled away. And, you know, it's still there in its, you know, whatever the word is you use when something is still there, even when it's not. But the Roman Empire, 
still exists in the thinking of the European people today, and it will be coming back into a developed group of nations someday. I know people disagree with that, and they say it's going to be the Muslims, or it's going to be this or that. It is not. It is going to be a Roman entity because of what it says in Daniel chapter 9. We know that the Antichrist is going to be from Rome, okay, which means a part of the Roman Empire. That's what it says. I take it at face value. Other people disagree with that. That's fine. Daniel 9, 24 through 27 does not give another option. And of course, you're going to get people that will say, well, America is an offshoot of the Roman Empire and therefore, and that's not correct. That is an incorrect analysis. It doesn't matter if somebody comes from America. Oh, well, America is a part of the Roman Empire and therefore Barack Obama is the Antichrist. And I heard all that nonsense for years. No, okay. That, it doesn't work that way. This is going to be somebody that is a Roman, the people of the prince who shall come. Anyway, that's a diversion there, but the whole point is that Christianity was based under Judaism as a valid religion. And so that's what I, I took a while to explain that, but um, it continued to confirm the legal proclamation of the gospel. We would not have the Bible right now. We would not have Paul's writings if that was not the case but it was the case. And so these books were accepted as a part of the continued religion that was uh, stems from the Jewish people. So that's what's important about that. Anyway, rather than being negatively affected and weakened by what occurred, Paul and those with him understood that these things were divinely orchestrated. He knew it, you know, he's on a ship, they haven't had anybody around them for 14 days. They, nobody's eaten or anything. And an angel comes and stands by Paul and he says, you know, you and the ship will be rescued. Paul understood when something was divinely orchestrated. And when he has a vision, a man from Macedonia says, come and speak to us. He knew that he was doing the right thing. So he didn't really care. He wasn't concerned about himself. He wasn't concerned about what people thought of him. All he knew is that he had the gospel to proclaim and the spirited led him to that particular place. So uh, he, he was staunch in what he was doing. Okay, thus they were fully, I'm sorry, they were further emboldened because of that knowledge. And this was, as it says here, Paul's words, this was despite much conflict. The Greek word translated as conflict, it's the same word we've seen before, agoni. And you can see it is where our modern word agony is derived. Um, I see. Um, I see what I've done. I'm reading from notes from last week. I turned the page and I didn't have my F on the top, which I always put there. So what I just said to you is something that came actually from 2-2. All right. Now I got it right here. And um, uh, sorry about that. Anyway, it's good because I got to say something that was good. But this is the front of that. I always do that. And for some reason, I didn't do that last week. And so um, uh, let me... You got an F. Yeah, I, I got an F, and I always do that so that I know that I'm on the right page and I was on the wrong page because I didn't mark the right page. Anyway, so we're going to uh, go back here, and I'm going to read you. He says in Galatians 1.10, I read you that from Galatians 1.10. This is the same train of thought here in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 4, from Galatians 1.10, and from the other citation, which was 1 Corinthians chapter 4. All right, he begins with the word, but... That is given as a contrast to the thought of the previous verse. He and those with him did not proclaim the gospel from error or uncleanness, nor did they proclaim it in deceit. 
Okay, the gospel was something that they were sharing because they knew that God wanted them to and that they were under the authority of God. Okay, so instead he says, but we have been approved by God. The words of verse 2 were given to show how fallen man conducts his affairs. But Paul shows the contrast in how he and those with him conducted theirs, their affairs. They were approved by God, being led by the Spirit, and having been examined and found faithful in their proclamation. As the Greek word translated as approved implies. They had passed the necessary test of God by holding fast to his message and thus they were entrusted with the gospel. Okay, that's Paul's words. We were entrusted with the gospel. He was a person that God knew I can trust this person. He's seen me I went after I'm risen. I've told him these things. He's willing to commit his life and give up on his old life of persecuting the church. The other people with him were all just as firm and resolute as Paul was. And so with that, they were approved by God. They were entrusted with the gospel, and that is what they were doing. They were carrying out the word of the gospel. Um, one of the things that Paul would do is, um, and this was kind of my life application from Acts today, so I'm kind of um, paraphrasing what I said there, but um, Paul went out and he evangelized people. And then he went out and not only evangelized them, but he stayed and did what? He planted, he planted churches, absolutely. And then, after the church was planted, he discipled the people. In fact, he was in Antioch forever talking to the people, you know, in between the missionary trips. And he went back and he would stay with these people. He'd spend an extended... So he not only evangelized and he not only planted, but he also um, uh, discipled the people. And then, after he left, he wrote them letters or he prayed for them, constantly praying for them, which you can see again and again in his epistles. Okay, so are we all supposed to do that? No. No. All of them. I, I just said he did like five different things. Are we all supposed to do that? No, we, no, no. I mean, you've got a job, right? Your mom's got a uh, Your mom's taking care of the family. Um, in other words, everybody's got a thing to do. And so, uh, I, and I was thinking about this while I was typing the commentary this morning. I remember a story of a guy... Um, I, uh, I know I've mentioned him in this class before. He was in World War II. He was with a guy that knew the Lord and was always at peace, regardless of what happened. And the guy that knew the Lord was told, you got to go out and you got to take that uh, machine gun nest. And he made it about six feet and he was shot. And then he lay there dying. And his, his, as he was dying, he was saying the Lord's prayer. Uh, or he was saying, I think the 23rd Psalm is what he said. And it was 23rd Psalm. So he's laying there, he's saying, and he was just at peace dying there on the battlefield. There was no agony or, you know, this, this like, oh my gosh. He, and the guy was like, whatever that guy wants, I want it. Lord, I will give you my life if I can get that. Well, this guy got shot as well. And they took him into the uh, uh, place where you have the dead bodies. And they laid him down and marked him as dead. And he had been hit in a tin Bible that his girlfriend gave him before he departed. He had it right there. It hit him in the Bible. And not only did it hit him, he opened the Bible and he showed where the bullet stopped. On the widow of nine, where the lady's son had died and Jesus touched him and brought him back to life. And the bullet, you can see where the bullet went in. This guy spent the rest of his life planting churches. 
Now, he wasn't a discipler. He wasn't a person that evangelized, but he was a church planner. And he planted like 50 churches in Texas. Well, as amazing as that is, one of the things that I think about when I think of that story, this is a guy that is wearing a uniform. This is a guy that's moving forward. This is a guy that's in, uh, we'll say, 68 degrees humidity. This is a guy where there's a wind that's uh, 13 miles from the east. Okay, all these things are going on around him as he is running. Okay, and he's running at 12 miles an hour. Okay. Wow, he's moving. Well, whatever. I don't know how, you know, I'm just saying. He's, he's running. Okay. Somebody has a gun with this much powder in it. Somebody has a gun with this type of a bullet and not that type of bullet. He has a gun with a, a uh, barrel that's this long and not this long. Okay. Every single thing that you can imagine and that we could never imagine had to come into play for that bullet to go through from the gun. The guy had to pull it exactly the right moment. This guy's going at this speed, the humidity, the temperature, the wind, everything comes into play. Everything that you could possibly imagine for that bullet to hit that Bible and to stop on that verse. Now you think about that. That is as strong of a message from the Lord as the vision that Paul had. Come. A man from Macedonia says, come and evangelize us. That is such a strong message that if he had turned that down, can you imagine the guilt he would have before the Lord? Think of it. And the, you take it back, not just at the shooting, but take it back to he's in New York with his girlfriend who came with him, and she happened to see this Bible. She could have gotten him a, a paper Bible, would have been less heavy or whatever. She got him this Bible. And he put it in this spot on his butt. Every single thing comes into play. And look, my hair standing up. Just I think about this every time I think of that story. And I thought, what would it take for that to happen? And it's impossible. It is literally impossible unless the Lord was a part of every single bit of it. Every bit of it. Meeting the girl. Her deciding to go into this store, not just go on. Think about it tonight when you go to bed, the millions of things that you could think of that came into play for that to happen. And then there he is laying there. They've already proclaimed him dead, and he comes back up. And they put him in there. They do the surgery on him or whatever they had to do, get him put back into shape, and he lived. And he, he said, I'm so unworthy. I've only planted 50 churches. I haven't done enough. He was completely ruined in his heart that he had failed the Lord. 50 churches? Most people will never plant one church in their whole life, even if they're strong Christians. So the answer is no, you, yeah, go ahead. So when we're in the projects, yeah. you always find a way to ask if people know Jesus. Know Jesus and, and, and sometimes you lay back and we know you're talking to Getting them, ready to talk to him, right? yeah find ourselves sometimes um, you know may, I may say a prayer suggesting someone knows the Lord and I find out later they may have some crazy idea yeah okay I do feel the responsibility to kind of get them on the straight and narrow Absolutely. But I don't know how to say that yeah well if you do then introduce Tom or somebody that can say it better and I, I want to say what you just said because the people online can't hear you he was saying that you know he feels when we all go to the projects together and he's with us and he will talk to somebody and find out that the guy's thinking is not right okay he's not 
tracking properly about Jesus or the gospel. And he says, I'm not sure what to do about that. And once again, you're a businessman. You've got your job to do. You're not a theologian. Okay. You're in Bible class. And so you can do so much, but you can't do any more. And so the, uh, if that happens with you, you know, just let one of us know and maybe get his name if he's, if we're not there and we'll talk to him next week, you know, get his address. And that's what we have to do in life because Paul was like a superhero as far as what he did. He did everything. Okay. That was his existence. But most of us have our own existence. And so we can't do all of those things. I can't go out and plant churches. Okay. We planted a church on Turtle Beach and that was it. That wasn't like, I'm going to plant a church and move on. That's just, I want to preach. That's all I want to do. And how am I going to do it? We don't have a building. We don't have anything else. How are we going to go out and preach? And so Turtle Beach was, you know, actually it started on Siesta Beach and that lasted one time. It's terrible down at Siesta Beach. So uh, parking is terrible. The noise, the, it was just horrible. So after that, we were at Turtle Beach. And, you know, but I can do that. I can preach, but it, disciple a little bit, but I can't do all the things that Paul does. You know, we all have something that we have to do. And if you have a limitation in you, then just pass it on to somebody else and never feel bad about that. Okay. It is good. You know, one thing, Hunter, can I bring him up? Sure. Okay. Um, Hunter, his grandson's been coming out to the projects with us. Okay. He has not prayed at all. And last week, I think it was Chris that probably prompted him because she, she pushes people. <laughs> anyway, um, she finally said, you know, you just got to do it. And so, and we were all in that. And she explained it the way that a guy would not be able to. It's like, man up and do it. You know, well, she's like, we all were there. We all started without having ever prayed before. And it's hard to pray out loud for people. It's a difficult thing. But pay attention a couple times and then you do it. And he did, and he did a great job. Yeah. It, you know, it's just fine. So and he, got, he faltered like in the midway, and then it was like, you're doing fine. Just yeah. go. It was like, okay. Yeah, yeah he, he was worried that he wasn't performing properly. It's not performing. It's just what you have to learn to express yourself. And so he prayed, I think, once or twice. And if he keeps coming out with us, then he will learn what is right and what is, you know, because some people's prayers, you know, one of the things that we should not do in prayer is to give a laundry list of the things that are going on in life. You know, there are times where we can just go on with things that the Lord already knows those. And so we wanna keep the prayers concise and we want to appeal to the Lord and we also wanna appeal to the senses of the people we're praying with. And so everything takes time, everything takes, you know, uh, uh, practice, but eventually those things will work out. But witnessing is not an easy thing because you'll get asked questions that maybe you can't answer and so you got to be ready for that and so if you you know say one of these days we're on the same team and we're going out and there is somebody that I'm going to witness to just stand back and listen you don't want to say anything because you never want to have two people saying something to one person that's very distracting for a person you always want to have one person that's giving it but just, just stick around with Tom or me and that'll be fine we have the obligation yeah. And I do think that how we do it today is with consistency. Consistency. And if we, not everybody could accept that message the first time we meet. That's right. And that's, that's a thing that people, I heard a guy in a Baptist church one time, the church I used to attend down here, and he was a missionary. 
and obviously he's appealing for money as a missionary, and so this is one of the ways that he did it. I was so upset with what he said. He said, I don't think anybody should ever be given the gospel twice until everybody's been given the gospel once. And I thought that he's obviously never really witnessed to anybody because just because somebody turns it down the first time, listen, we've been in the projects with people for years and it finally dawns on them they need Jesus, right? Um, I'll tell you a story of somebody that I know that's in the church right now. And she used to listen to a guy named uh, uh, the Bible. And it wasn't Hank Lindstrom. It was, um, what was the guy's name? Yeah, it was Hank Lindstrom. It wasn't the Bible answer guy. It was the guy up in Tampa. Anyway, the Bible man, whatever. Oh, yeah. uh, he went Catholic. He, no, no, not that guy. Oh. That guy was, he's crazy. That's the Bible answer man, not, not him. He, he didn't go Catholic. He went Greek Orthodox. But it's the other guy up in Tampa. And he, he had said at least 10 times during his 30-minute show, every single week, he had said, you need Jesus. Here's what you need to do. You got to believe the gospel, blah, blah, blah. And one day, this person, who I happen to be related to, so you can look around and figure, who am I related to, said, and this is a person that had been in church her whole life. She helped establish a church out on CSDK, right? I mean, get it started, get the, the building and everything. She said, I need Jesus. And she'd heard that probably 800 times a week from this guy. So uh, anyway, um, uh, it wasn't the Bible answer man. Okay, so don't, anyway, he was just this old guy and he's dead now. But um, it, it, she said to me, he just said something and it clicked. And after that, she's been on the right path ever since. So you have to be consistent and you have to be determined to tell people more than once, okay? Uh, don't ever let anybody give you cliches like nobody should hear the gospel twice. And so that's a cliche. It's very bad handling of a relationship with people. Okay, it's just terrible. Anyway, so the the point is that Paul did a lot of things. We each can do something. Some people just can't even get out of their own way, but they might have a lot of money, and so they can give to missionaries. And they can, you know, it doesn't matter as long as you're doing something. The Lord is reading your heart. And he is saying, this person is totally incapable of doing this, 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 and this, and this. But he can do that. And I accept that because his heart is right with me. That's what the Lord motive. is concerned. Motive. It's yeah. Motive. Is it based on, as Why Paul said, is it based on the Lord or is it not? And if it's not, then it's not worth anything. But if it's based on the Lord, it doesn't matter what you're doing. You can be walking down the road talking to him during the day. And he's going to accept that because you're acknowledging that he's there and that you're in fellowship with them. So don't let those kind of things bring you down, okay? But the whole point about that guy is he was brought back so that he could serve the Lord. He planted churches. Other people come and they are preachers, okay? That's all I wanted to do. I could not get out of my own way to start a church. It just happened to come together and I was the one that was preaching. So you can't say, well, Charlie started the superior word. I happened to be there when the superior word was started. And that's the best way to say it because I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to get, you know, audio visual stuff online. I don't know how to, uh, you know, properly build a website. I don't know any of those things. And so this church was started by a lot of people that got together from all over the world. Some of them I've never met face to face, even to this day, and it works. You know, the Lord knows what works and he knows what is good. So just Trust that he can take care of whatever you want in the way that he will find the best for that you. That is okay? a God thing. Though. Yeah, it is. Oh, my God. Absolutely. Is it like, you know. Absolutely. 
Yeah, the Lord, he's the one that puts things together according to his wisdom. So, um, okay, the, uh, uh, I'll read that last sentence so you remember where we were. They had passed the necessary test of God by holding fast to his message, and thus they were entrusted with the gospel. Okay, the gospel is God's message of redemption to the people of the world. Its source is from God. And the message which Paul proclaimed was fully in line with that divine source. So, Paul wrote 13 epistles from the New Testament, actually 14, but one of them is unsigned, so we can't ascribe it to Paul. We just call it Hebrews. But certainly Paul wrote it. So there's uh, things that Paul did, all right? And because he wrote those, and because what he was doing was within accord, was in accord with the divine source, and because they are breathed out words of God in here, and if we follow these, we will be following the divine source, okay, if we rightly follow them, because people will take all kinds of things out of their intended context, and then they're not rightly following the Lord. But, you know, I was, uh, somebody, it was, I think Lisa in Australia sent me this one. I got sent a couple videos today, and uh, one of them that I watched was that uh, black uh, preacher that is in, they call him priest, I don't like that word, but anyway, he was a black priest in the Church of England. He still is, but he's an offshoot now because they wouldn't allow him to, to uh, be ordained within them because he's conservative, okay? And he stood up in front of all of this Sidnod, and he's speaking to these people that are ordaining homosexuals, and they're doing this, and they're doing that one, and they're all having this, I don't know if it was a debate you'd call it, but anyway, he said, they're saying how God is love, and God accepts these people, and he says, so what you're doing is you're taking this part of the Bible, and you're saying, this is the standard. But you're saying, this doesn't apply here. He said, so who are you to determine which part of this word is acceptable and which is He's very clearly presenting this to, this to them, okay? He did a great, great job of it, and it's something that most of us would probably do as well. Who are you to determine what is and what is not valid in God's word today? It is all valid. Now you have to determine the context, and there is no context ever that allows what those people are saying. None. Nothing. And if that's the case, then they are not of God, and they are not being led by the Spirit, and they are not to be listened to. But people will still listen to them because it tickles their ears, and they want to be a part of whatever's going on in the world today. Just so you know, I've got a earache that's been going on for five days, and if I don't make it through this class, if we stop early, I'm sorry. I'll try to make it, but I, the more I'm talking, the more it's bothering me. So, um, anyway, we'll go on. Um, uh, he did, but I you know, tell you what helps. Rhoda told me this, and I found out it does help. I woke up this morning, it didn't hurt nearly as much as yesterday, is if you take a clove of garlic and shove it in your ear, I'm telling you, it really, it, it gets hot and it starts to hurt like you got to finally take it out, but it helps. I think he got an infection, and it do, infection does not like garlic. And so, anyway, it really helped last night. So when I get home, I'm going to shove another clove of garlic in my ear. But what you got to do is you got to cut it because you know you got to get the the. Uh, anyway, Rhoda said that's what they do in Nazareth, and they're gone. But I happen to think I remember Rhoda said this, and so there I am sitting there, and the dogs are coming up, and their noses are sniffing my ear. <laughs> Ouch! Uh, what's that? Yeah, no, they liked it. They One of them kept trying to pull it out with his teeth. I'm like, stop that. Anyway, um, 
Uh, Paul did not deviate as others were prone to do, like these people in the Church of England, and this one guy standing on the word of Paul, which is the word of God. One guy, and all these other people are just saying all of these perverse things that have no reality in Scripture. Zero. Okay? Paul makes this evident by saying, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. This is Paul's words. This is what he is telling us about that. He understood that God is testing their hearts. While others had fallen, human reasons for proclaiming salvation messages, Paul and those with him completely rejected such things. Think of that one guy standing in the Church of England saying that. Okay, and he's the one that they ought to be pushing out to the forefront. He's black for crying out loud. Oh, look, we're see how uh, accommodating we are. And yet they've rejected him, not because of the color of his skin, but because he believes in the literal word of God is to be taken as such. And so the skin color suddenly doesn't matter in that case. Okay, very sad. Pleasing men was of no value to them when they knew that it is God who tests our hearts. Paul's words. In these words, he repeats the same word what was, which was just translated as approved. God had tested them, and they had passed his most stringent examination. Paul knew that. He was able to write it down. It is included in the word of God, and so it is true. Okay? I was thinking about something here. I, uh, the reason why, let me read you this first. The word of God is true, okay? I just ended with that and this just came to mind. Yesterday's commentary, not this morning's. I wanna read you something from Acts. Go to Acts chapter 15, okay? And this, I realized something that is a problem with a certain doctrine that people hold to. Okay. And I, I, I explain it better than I will explain it now. But I will tell you this because, uh, let me read this again. God tested them and they had passed his most extreme, uh, uh, stringent examination. They were standing on God's divinely uh, inspired uh, message. Okay, so in Acts chapter 15, um, it says here in verse um, uh, 34. Read Acts 15:34. 1534, that would be... Okay, there is none. No, there is no 1534. This one says, however, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. But his doesn't even have it in there. Yep. A different text has got a different... Uh, one is missing. Now, we could immediately say, well, they took that out of the Word of God and it belongs there. Or we could say it's possible that that was inserted incorrectly bought from a margin note, okay? Which is it? All right, now the reason why is because we have here in um, verse 32, now Judas and Silas themselves being prophets. So he's mentioned there in verse 32, and then it says that in verse, um, uh, where is it? Um, uh, and after that, they which is referring to verse 32, Judas and Silas, after that they stayed there for a time. They were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. So it tells you that Judas and Silas went back, right? That's what you would get from a normal reading. Right. But then it says down here in verse um, uh, 40, but Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren. So how did Silas show up unless that verse is in there? So. It is believed by the people that hold that it doesn't belong in there that 
it was a margin note that was inserted and then became a part of the text. Some say, well, obviously he stayed because this is the King James Version and it it's God's only infallible word and therefore blah, blah, blah. And what got me thinking about that was because on Monday I got an email from somebody that went to my King James only errors in the King James site, right? And all he did, I've got a site that has got thousands of lines of information on it. Thousands, okay? The very first example, that's all he went to. And it says, I, I say, well, here's one of the translational problems with the King James Version is that it says in Deuteronomy 8 verse 9 um, that you may dig brass out of the hills and uh, whatever, okay? What's the problem with that? Right off the top. Brass didn't exist. Brass didn't exist. Brass is an alloy. Okay, and so you don't dig brass out of the hills. Okay, have a nice night, Mom. Um, so um, brass does not exist in a natural state. Okay, you can't dig it out of the hills. Copper is what you dig out of the hills, and then you mix it with tin or with other metals and make an alloy. Okay, so it's an error. And they didn't know metallurgy. They were just translators, and so they said brass. Okay, but he sent me a link to something that says, you know, you're completely biased, blah, 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 blah. Didn't read any of the other things in there, which are actual contradictions within the scripture itself, their, their translation of it. Never commented on those. Okay, just started with the first one and he sent me this link that said, see, brass does exist in nature. Okay, it says, it is believed that there is uh, uh, microscopic amounts of a brass alloy that have been found in a certain part of Russia. Okay, which means that a, uh, a meteorite came in, it all melted together and they found this, okay? There's no hint of it ever in Israel, but secondly, the citation that he gave saying that brass does exist, it says they have a mountain called the Copper Mountain and they have the elements in there that are copper and tin and these other things and they are melted down and they become brass. It doesn't say that that happened in the mountain. It says that they found these these alloy or these uh, metals and they then melted them down. So even what he said was wrong. Yeah, even what he said. So the whole thing, the point is that people, because God's word is perfect, this is the error in thinking that we have. Keep thinking about what it just said about Paul being divinely inspired and approved. Because God's word is perfect, and I agree, when God breathed out his words through Jeremiah, they were his words. And when he breathed them out through Paul, they were his words. Now, Paul was obviously the human scribe that, or the human person that brought these words forward. But God's divinely inspired word does not mean that after man has handled it, it will remain divinely inspired and perfect without error. Because anytime you touch anything that is perfect, it becomes what? It becomes tainted by default. And we've seen this. Now, we've seen this in several sermons from the Old Testament where certain things are gold and it does not say pure gold. Everything says pure gold, pure gold, pure gold, pure gold. And all of a sudden there's a, a, an item that doesn't say pure gold. And you think, why is that? It's because that is the part of the, the tabernacle, the sanctuary that man is being portrayed in. Remember the two bars that hold the ark? Yeah. Do you remember the symbolism of those? What was that? It's the Old and New Testament. The Old and New Testaments. And it's not covered in pure gold. It simply says it's covered in gold. Why? Because man touches those. 
man's hands are on the Old and New Testament. God's word is preserved, but man has polluted it through the translation of the Greek, through the translation of the Latin, through the translation of the English, through uh, manipulation by the Jews in the Masoretic text, etc. It doesn't mean it's not God's word. It means that we need to determine what is and what is not valid in there. And when there's an error in the King James Version, which there are hundreds of them, thousands maybe, that is because man has improperly translated that word. And he may have gone to a wrong source text and put in a verse that doesn't belong there. Now, I'm not arguing either way for the validity of that verse or not. That's not what I'm doing here. I'm just simply saying that that Bible doesn't have it, and this one does, and why? And that's what we need to determine. Okay, but to just say, well, that's of the devil because that's not in there. Well, if that's the case, then so is the King James Version because the King James Version has got contradictions in it. From the Old Testament, the New Testament, the translations actually contradict in what is said. So is that of the devil? No, it's a mistranslation by man. So we need to think clearly when we're evaluating scripture. Think of Paul receiving the word of God. It was pure and perfect. And now man has translated it and made errors into it. And this, this translation has been sent down to Egypt. This one's been sent over to Byzantine, the Byzantine Empire. And so now we've got to research and actually use our brains to figure out what God is telling us. you got something. Psalms, you read different times and it says more than gold, even fine gold. Absolutely. My, my translation says copper you can put the hills you can dig copper that's right yours is probably the nasb yeah <laughs> then they didn't get that wrong the king james version got it r-o-n-g it got it wrong because you cannot dig brass out of the hills of israel okay and you might be able to dig out minute parts of brass that have melted from a, a meteorite in siberia but that's not israel and you don't go there to dig out brass from the hills, okay? So the whole point is that, and that's just one of hundreds of them. Okay, I just gave that as an example because it's so easy, and so I put it first, okay? And then the guy comes and wants to argue it without ever addressing 15 million other things in there that are wrong, okay? I'm sorry if that blows people uh, their happiness away and they want to come and kill me or something because, you know, and I've had people, the King James only people are the most threatening people uh, they're just, they are a cult because that's what cult-minded people do. They threaten you and they condemn you to hell because you are actually reasoning out scripture, which is what we're supposed to do. As the translators of that book did. Yeah, told us to. Told us to. And Multiple then they pulled versions. that out. It was like, oh my gosh, they're from the devil. Yeah, we, yeah, we can't have that. Oh, okay, life application. Mm -hmm. Time and time again, the Bible says that God searches the hearts and minds of humanity. Unfortunately, some sects within Christianity, he can only search their hearts because they don't have a mind. They're not willing to use it, and it's just been, it's exited, stage left, okay? God searches the hearts and minds of humanity. That was a joke. Everybody's got a mind. They just don't apply it, okay? As he is omnipresent, this is an obvious truth. Everybody got that? Your mind is within space, time, and matter, and God is everywhere at all times, forever so he obviously reads every single thought that we have which is a really scary thought if you're Charlie Garrett because I can't believe what goes through my head but 
Uh, he's omnipresent. It's an obvious truth. Do you consider this as your conduct as you conduct your life's affairs? Do you consider that? That goes through my mind all the time. I'll be out mowing at the mall and I'll think, God is right here with me, you know? I shouldn't be thinking that thought or hey, all the time. That is constantly on my mind. And it's, it is a check and it is a guard to think that way. Because if you're not thinking about the omnipresence and omniscience of God, then you're not worried about the things that you're doing, okay? And when you do do something wrong, which we all do, you should feel convicted because you know that God already knows that you have done that, right? That's what we should. And when it talks of a seared conscience in the Bible, that is a person that no longer cares about that issue. That person does know that there is a God. There's no doubt about it. But they have suppressed that knowledge to the point where they no longer care. And they deny that he even exists, even though somewhere inside they know he does. No doubt about it. Okay? But that is a seared conscience, and those people have completely turned themselves away from God. Even if they say, you know, you get these people that um, somebody was uh, posting something on Twitter a day ago, or maybe it was this morning, where Hillary Clinton was quoting the Bible. You talk about a contradiction in thinking is a person that spends her whole life tearing apart Christians that hold to the Bible, and then she quotes it. Just like, remember during the, uh, uh, the abortion thing, Gavin Newsom had hired billboards around America with Bible verses, love your neighbor, support abortion. <laughs> you know, these people hate Christians. They literally hate them. They hate the word of God. They hate Jesus. And yet they will take the Bible and say something perverse with it. That is a seared conscience. Okay. God is omnipresent. It's an obvious truth. And so you should consider this when you conduct your life's affairs. There's nothing, no thing that is unknown to God. Even in your darkest secrets, you are fully exposed to him. Remember this as you go about your life. Consider your ways and align them with what is pleasing to God. That alone is a mark of faith worthy of rewards. Just simply carrying around the knowledge that I am accountable to God and I understand that God sent Jesus to die for me and now I am offending him with the things I'm doing is a mark for rewards because you are acknowledging that. You may not be able to help yourself in the process. I mean, some people are addicted and they need help. They need to have help in one way or another to get away from that, okay? Uh, I understand that. But if you are acknowledging your fallen state before the Lord and you are doing your very, very best to get away from what you're doing, some people take a long time, some people get away from addiction very easily, but God knows your heart and he knows your limitations and he is there with you through it. And the more you rely on him and the more you trust in him, he will be with you through those things. Doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. I, I absolutely assure you of that until we die and we are perfected by him, we're going to continue to do these things. But uh, you just keep him in your thoughts all the time, constantly. And that in itself has to be a reward because you are demonstrating faith. Okay, 2-5. You know we never use flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. Okay, flattery. Five, four. Neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. God is witness. 
cloaked for covetousness. Think of that. You get these people that are, you know, you hear about um, uh, a pastor like in uh, uh, Texas or something, and he, uh, he's been doing all of these things, and yet he has a cloak around him. So it's, he's coveting these things, somebody's wife or, you know, whatever. And, you know, so Paul is, he's exposing how people can be by saying what we are not. It just, anyway, Paul has been defending his presentation of the gospel message and the sincerity of himself and those with him as well. He continues with this by saying, for he had just said that they spoke not as pleasing men, but as tested by God. The word for builds upon this by saying, for neither at any time did we use flattering words. The word translated as flattering, kolakea, chaos, is not found anywhere else in scripture. There was no flattering, no buttering up of those they talked to. They didn't tell them how smart they were or note anyone who lived in a lavish lifestyle as if fawning over them. Okay, which is something that we tend to do with people. Whatever thing we want, we will tend to gear towards that person in a way that we will get what we want as human beings. You see it all the time. That is not what Paul did. He didn't do it for the sake of the gospel. He didn't do it for the sake of getting money. He, as a matter of fact, he made a point of not accepting money from churches so that that would not be an issue. Now, who was it? The Philippians did help him out. He allowed them because they were a poor church to help him, but he wouldn't take money from the richer churches. And he even said that. I robbed them to not be a burden to you. So everything that Paul did was with the sense of not causing anybody to question his motives because by questioning his motives, they would then question the person that sent him, Jesus Christ. Is this message true? Is it valid? your actions will bring that question into their mind. If you're doing something for a reason, if we went to the projects and we were looking for something, they would know that. They would know that right away. Now, I admit, I get a lot of things out of the projects, especially dogs, okay? Now, I'm not going down there looking for dogs, but they do happen to come my way from time to time, all right? And, you know, we all, at some time or another, get a real sense of satisfaction from it. There are times where we may go weeks or even months without one day of satisfaction. There are times where uh, Tom will sit down next to me and he'll say, I, it just seems like we're not doing anything effective here. How many times have we said that to each other over the past 17, 16 years? He's been doing it 17, I, so I can't, I can't use his, uh, uh, but I came a year later. But I can't tell you how many times we've stopped or we've been walking along together and we just said, you know, I just don't think we're, we're being effective right now. And... Uh, uh, there's a point where we, you know, we get too many people and then it's just kind of like we're falling all over each other. And so I had a t- talk with Tom about that uh, a couple weeks ago is that during the times when we have a lot of people, I want to start going back and doing the church ministry that I, I or the beach ministry I used to have. Because if you got 10 people in the projects and you only need six, you got four people that are really not needed. Okay, and so uh, when I am not needed, and I'll figure this out maybe in a month or two, Hidako is retiring is the deal. Then I'm trying to think, how can I spend my time more effectively? Okay, and so I will continue to go to the projects, but I would like when there's, I know there's gonna be a lot of people there, just go down to Turtle Beach and sit there. This'll help you with this. Let me answer, it just came to mind. I'm talking about something, and you were talking about how to present yourself. I got to tell you what, 
When I first met the Lord, I didn't know how to tell anybody about Jesus, okay? And finally, I learned how to tell people about Jesus. I watched a pastor leave my wife who, she's my wife. I didn't know how to tell her about Jesus. All I know is he changed me. And so I just wanted to tell her and the kids, but I didn't know what to do. Well, he talked to my wife about, and I sat there and I paid attention to everything he did. And after that, I had a reasonable way of evangelizing people, okay? Fine. Well, the next thing is I want to be able to tell people about what the Bible says because I've read the Bible now 55 times probably. Every week for two and a half years, I sat in my church, I'm, I'm sorry, my business, and I read the Bible once a week. And I did that for about two and a half years. I'd start, I'd read it, I'd finish it, and I'd start right again. Every day, I read it 10 hours a day, and I did that. So a lot, I read the Bible a lot. And I could not have told you how to explain the Bible to a single person. I've got all of this information in me, just like I have all this information about Jesus, and I don't know how to get it out. And I thought, I'm never gonna do this if I don't just do it. And so here's what I did. I had a sign made up. The first sign didn't work. So I, I, I still have it, but the next sign, I said Bible study, okay? Something like that. And I sat there and people would come up once in a while. And I realized that's not, it, it's not, people think I'm waiting for people. So I had a sign made up and it's sitting in the garage waiting to be used again. Bible questions answered. Don't be shy. And boy, people would just walk up constantly. And some of them wanted to challenge you and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so the whole point is that I, the first couple times that I was talking to people, I couldn't answer their question. I was so embarrassed. Here I'm saying Bible questions answered. I couldn't remember where. I, I knew it, it's in there, but I couldn't remember where. I've read it so many times and I can't tell you where it's at. So everything takes effort. And if you're not willing to put in the effort and be embarrassed in the process, it will never happen. But the more you do something outwardly, the old, go ahead, what? It's like oh. anything. Yeah. It's like they you say, fall off your bike, you're going to, you know, uh, mess up a paint don't go job. Away. You're going it's, to, it's always, you, it, so that's you have right. to do it again. You have to do it in order, and they say that the best way to learn is to teach. People that want to learn something will teach because when a student puts you on the, the spot and asks you a question, you have to start mentally evaluating things differently. So come here, I got this for you, thank you. This did not fit mine. It, this is not for the blower. This is for the, uh, it, I thought that's what I wanted and it wasn't. You just use a, um, a deep socket. Okay, I'm returning this. I want the whole world to see that I've returned <laughs> the tool to my son and here's some mail for you. I love you, you're a great son. Have a great like evening, thank you. <laughs> Have a great evening, thank you, Thor. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, that does that help with that? Uh, I, I understand how hard it is when you wanna tell somebody about Jesus and they ask you and you, you, you freeze up and you think, I don't know what to say. So watch, just stand back and watch one of us do it and then just do it and you're gonna make a mistake and I'll stand with you or he can stand with you and we can just say, you know, without interfering, you know, redirect it this way, okay? Because you have it on your heart to do it, do it. By all means, do it. Bert. Cheat, cheat sheet. Uh, Romans, uh, Romans Road. Romans Road. Oh, the Romans Road, memorize that. You, you, no, just say, well, let's go over it together. 
That's a good idea. That is a great idea. I will. You send me an email. Send me a message right now, and I will send you the Romans Road that I have typed up. As a matter of fact, it may be on. It is. It's on one of those things by the door, and you can take that and just say, read it with them, and that you've taken the burden off yourself. Do we know how many people are saved that we pray with? No. No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know what? But you know, somebody somebody asked me that in an email this week. How do I really know if somebody is saved? And I said. You can't. If they say they're saved, you can't go any further. All you can do is be a witness to them in the future. This is the conduct, and that's not the right conduct. And most people already know that, okay? But if somebody says they're saved and you start arguing with them, all you're going to do is alienate them, and you will never have a a foot in their door again, ever. So That's why every Saturday for 17 years, you go back. Keep going and keep loving them. That's absolutely right because you Shorty. were. Shorty. It took Shorty. Us years. That is like the best example right there. years just he to have a prayer that. with him. Get away from me. I don't pray. God's crazy. Blah, blah, blah. Like, and now he literally waits for us every single week. He's standing there waiting for us to come every single week. And that took years and years and years. We'd go and talk to him, but he did not want to hear about God. We'd just stand there and talk to him and, hey, Shorty, how are you? And this went on for years. And then finally, Chris said, Chris, she says, oh, you're going to pray with us today. And after that, the the wall came down. But it took years. And it took a lady because a guy say it, he would have probably gotten in a fight with you. So, and now he waits for us every single week, waiting. Can't wait for us to come. Billy Graham was interviewed, and I can't remember if it was on TV or a Christian. And they said, how many people that comes forward are really saved. He said, my best estimate is 10%. Yeah. 10%. Wow. Now, let me repeat that so that they, they hear, because yeah. they, they can't hear you. Uh, Billy Graham had uh, uh, was asked how many people came forward at his crusades are really saved, and he said probably 10%. So, yeah. you got something. other people come because other people come. Yeah, that's right. People come up just because it, it's like, well, it's like these revivals. One person does it, and so everybody's just going to get on. We have no idea. That is totally up to the Lord. We, we can't question their salvation. All we can do is say, you know what? If you're saved, start living like it. Go to church. Read your Bible. You know, get into it. But, yeah, we, we have no idea if somebody is truly saved or not or if they were ever truly saved, and they've fallen away, and the Lord still knows. The Lord knows who are his. Go read it again, 2 Peter 1, 1 through 9. All right, people can actually forget that they were saved, but the Lord will never forget it. Okay, so um, uh, let's see here. Where was I? We're in 2-5, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, okay, so um, uh, there was no flattering or buttering up of those they talked to. They didn't tell them how smart they were or note anyone living a lavish lifestyle. Instead, they came without any pretense at all, and they simply presented the gospel. It was probably a presentation similar to that made in Acts chapter 17 when Paul spoke to those in Athens. He went out into the Areopagus and he stood and he just told people about Jesus, you know, and he used their own surroundings in his evangelism. You know, I've been walking around and I see you're very spiritual people. You got idols everywhere. And he says, I saw one that said to the unknown God. He said, I am here to proclaim him to you. Okay, that's Charlie Garrett paraphrase, but that's what he did. Okay. 
Oh, good. Oh, it's great. That is one of the best chapters, I'm telling you, in the whole Bible, is how he uses the circumstances and the, he even uses Greek philosophers, Epimenides and Aratus and some of these other philosophers, and he quotes them and ties it into his knowledge of Christ. It, he, he does a marvelous job of it, and if we can learn from that, we will be able to really successfully evangelize people in whatever circumstances we're in. He just, he beautifully did, obviously, God picked the right guy at the right circumstances, but... I, I, I give you a big uh, boost in, in my little bit Oh, well, I can't wait to read it. I can't <laughs> wait to read it. Okay, so Paul, he's in Athens. He's in the Areopagus. He told them uh, their state. He told them of their need for Jesus. And he explained to them their common language, in their common language, how they could be saved. At the end of his discourse, it says that many rejected him, sure. but some believed. some believed. Okay, yeah, including a woman named Damaris. Remember Damaris, which is D in the uh, projects? Yeah. That's her name, but we, she just goes by D. But anyway, uh, actually, I, I think she pronounces it Damaris, but anyway, uh, it, Damaris. He continues on uh, in this verse by saying, as you know, they were fully aware of how he dealt with them. Okay, and once again, when Paul says, as you know, to in his epistles, which he does from time to time, it has to be true. It can't be something that isn't true because he's writing to the people that he says, as you know. And if it wasn't true, they'd say, what's he talking about? Okay, that's not right. So we know just by adding in those verbal cues into his letters, we know the authenticity of those letters. It just, it's a wonderful way of validating the Bible all by itself is by the expressions that are used within it, such as Paul's, okay? They were fully aware of how he dealt with them. His words in the letter are to remind them of this, not to convince them of something they were previously unaware of. After this, he says, nor a cloak for covetousness. The word he uses for cloak gives the idea of that which is evident to anyone who sees. In other words, if they had a cloak for covetousness, their true state would be hidden under a false covering of piousness, but underneath would be greedy hearts of covetousness. Okay, once again, coveting is the 10th commandment. Coveting is the one that actually is probably the most offensive of all because it leads to all of the other ones. If you say, uh, don't commit adultery. Well, I don't commit adultery. I've never slept on, with anybody except my wife. But you coveted. And someday, if you do that enough, it will lead to that act. I don't care what it is. If you, st it all starts here and then it comes out. And so coveting is the one that's the most dangerous, but it's also the one that the Lord knows because he searches the hearts and minds. And so, you know, we can go out and actively do something, and yeah, he knows that, but he also knows the coveting and the state of the heart. And so uh, it's one of those things that we think we've got it made, and we're free from whatever we're not, okay? It's a really dangerous, and I'm not elevating covetousness above the others. I'm simply saying that it's the start of the, the other ones. It's the seed that hasn't been watered. That, yeah, it's the, exactly. And once you water that seed, out comes its growth. That's a very good way of saying it. Thank you. Aiken. Oh, yeah. Coveted. I coveted. That's yeah, right. <laughs> Aiken coveted, and it cost him and his whole family their, their lives. Okay? 
So there you go. What a great story that is, though. Oh, man, I've been loving Joshua. I tell you, I just, I've been loving the book of Joshua. I typed um, uh, this past week, first I did last week, the uh, Cities of Refuge from Numbers 35 is followed up here, and that's great. And then uh, what did I do this last week, right after that? Um, I can't remember right now. Anyway, I'm just, I'm loving going through Joshua. Oh, great stuff. Anyway, um, uh, cloak for covetousness, um, it's hidden. Okay, rather than this, having a cloak of covetousness, their outward appearance matched what lay below in their hearts. Okay, that is what Paul was all about. His heart was being realized in his actions, and there was no cloak hiding anything there where there is with most people at some point or another. He then finishes up the verse with, God is witness. He can only expect those in Thessalonica to accept his testimony at face value in matters, which concern them. Any other places they went to evangelize and their attitude towards those people would be unknown to the Thessalonians. Therefore, Paul calls God as his witness to confirm that what he says is true. His words are reliable and his testimony is sound. Now, obviously, people can say God is witness and they're not sincere, okay? But that would not be the case with somebody that is authoring the Bible that we know is true because of the internal cues which tell us it is, okay? And the how it marvelously explains everything that we need to know about our own existence. Um, I mentioned earlier that we were talking about Proverbs before class and Stephen mentioned that he's reading Proverbs and it's so relevant and I said that's exactly right and it's relevant because God is the one that put us together okay if you got a bunch of tinker toys and you put them together and you make something that works you know everything about it you're the one that put the thing together you may have even actually made the tinker toys whatever you know everything about that and what it needs to work properly and if something breaks you know exactly how to fix it well that's what the Bible is there for it is our working, our manual. Just like you get a manual to put together, you know, a car or a, a TV set or whatever you get a manual with, you use that. Well, most guys don't, and then they break it, and then they go to the manual, but that's okay. Um, but the manual of the human being is the Bible. And so that why wouldn't we go there? And when you read Proverbs and you say, well, that happened to me today, I wish I had paid attention, it's because the manual is there to tell us not to do that or to do that. So anyway, um, life application. It should be that our lives are lived in such a way that we are always the epitome of integrity. We should never have a false cloak which covers up hearts which are covetous or deceitful. Let us remember that we live in the Lord's presence at all times and that we are accountable to him for how we live out our lives. The Lord is there. He's watching. You know, and that's not like uh, being in a church where they constantly beat that over your head. It's just a truth, okay? Some, some times I've been in churches and they just take it and they beat that type of thing over your head. And, you know, God is watching. and He's going to get, you know, we all know that. We just need the, the reminder of it, okay? Somebody asked me uh, this past week about why... Um, I and other preachers don't preach about the consequences of hell more. And I thought, first, my first thought was, why? Why would I do that? Okay, how many times do you hear Paul tell people about the consequences of hell? How many times? He focuses constantly on grace. 
This is what Christ did for you. You're already in a default position that's separated from God. That's it, okay? I could spend all my life explaining Dante's Inferno to people, and it's not going to get them anywhere closer to heaven. And when I was in that Baptist church down the road, there's one guy that he would talk from time to time, and all he talked about was hell. And I thought, this is the most unexciting presentation I've ever heard in my life. Constantly, oh, you're going to be sent to hell if you don't. Why would you focus on that? Right, and if you're saved. Yeah, if you're saved, then why, yeah, (laughs) what do they need to know that for? They got the Bible to tell you that. But to tell people about the problem, which is sin in your life, and how to deal with that, which is God's grace, that's the most freeing message of all. People don't need to know about hell. They already know that they're not right with the Lord. When they you tell them that Jesus died for their sins and they stand there and they break down in tears right in front of you, that person already knows there's a problem. He doesn't need to have that beaten over his head. Whatever. You know, I know there's different approaches, but when I find people that dwell on hell, like that guy in that church, it's so unappealing. I, I can't think of anything less appealing than going into church and having hell beat over your head all day. It just doesn't interest me. But you tell people about grace, and people get grace. They understand it. So anyway, um, uh, let's see here. Um, cloak for co- oh yeah, okay. Um, I read that. So two six. Oh, Do we? Let me see if we have time. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go through it. We got eight more minutes, and I'll okay. make it in eight minutes. We are not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. Okay, I'm sorry, was not ready for that. So eight. Uh, so affectionately longing for you. Am I in? Yes. Um, we were not only, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own life. Are you sure what? that's the same verse? Two? Maybe six. Two, six. Two, two, oh, I, okay. I thought I said eight. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Read two, six. Go ahead. Do that we again. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. Okay. That's a lot closer. It's yeah, a little longer, but yeah. I, 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 Even though. Huh? Is that all? That's all. Mine is longer too. So yours is missing something. This one says, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as an apostle of Christ. Wow. Now that may bleed into the next, um, sometimes they make the as verse. As apostles of yeah. Christ, we could have been. Yeah. Okay. So you. they bled it into the next verse. Actually, okay. that is still the verse. Okay. It goes to a different paragraph, but it's the same. Verse. Okay. So as th- apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you. Okay, Period. so it's, it's just wow. they formatted it kind of yeah, poorly. Weird. Okay, well, good. Weird. All right, uh, you know, I don't think we're going to have time no. because that just took <laughs> two minutes and we, we better wait. Okay, so I'm sorry about that. We'll do that next week and that's verse what? 2-6, right? Yes, sir. 2-6. Uh, Let me circle that so I don't forget. And uh, n- next week, do, I have my F on the front of this, so next week I won't spend four minutes reading the wrong thing. Um, okay, so... shipwreck. And he said, an angel came. That's right. And he said, don't be afraid. And he said, the angel whom I serve. So it was the Lord Jesus. Absolutely. There. Absolutely. Now, there are times. You mentioned that, you know, Paul, uh, before others telling about his experience. Right. But he said, don't be afraid. Yeah. Uh, that's what struck me. Well, you know, Paul, Paul was very good about being able to comfort people because he had all the comfort he needed. He knew the pit he was in and what he was pulled out of, so um, very good at that. Anyway, uh, Heavenly Father, uh, we're very grateful to you for the chance to come into your presence and to uh, share in your word. 
And what a precious word it is. Wow, it's so filled with life examples and life lessons. If we just read it, if we just apply it to our lives, things will go so much better. And Lord, there are a lot of people in this nation that really are at uh, enmity with your word. Their consciences are seared and they want no part of it. But Lord, if it takes a national calamity on a scale that we have never even imagined to bring this nation back to you and people from other countries as well, let it happen. Uh, our lives are not that important that we should be safe from from disaster, from financial collapse or anything else. What's important is the souls of these people that have turned from you. So Lord, whatever it takes, that's what I would pray for. I would hope that other people would be willing to pray that as well. The salvation of people is far more important than uh, a country that works fine and has a lot of money and doesn't have you. Lord, let us put you first in this nation once again, and whatever it takes to make that happen, may it be so to your glory. Uh, Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We pray for the people we mentioned earlier, and we just ask that your hand be upon them, and we praise you in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Amen. Okay, let me push this over here. Now, we're going to lose sound, folks, because Sergio's not here to make right. the sound work, so I'm just going to push this, and we're going to say goodbye. Goodbye.